0: about how we are to live in this world God so loves. Have you ever gotten to know someone and felt like you had a pretty good grasp on who they were as a person? Like you could bring them a meal without having to ask their food preferences. You know their children and the things that their children like. You know where they worship. You may even know how they vote. All these things that you learn about a person and when they line up the way you think they should makes you feel like, oh, I found one of my people. This relationship just works. And then one day, maybe a day like yesterday, you invite this person that you think you know pretty well over to, I don't know, watch a football game And all of a sudden they're cheering for Alabama instead of UT. And everything you thought you knew about this person just unravels, everything seems distorted all of a sudden. Like learning this one fact has the ability to just destroy what you thought you knew. And then you just start asking yourself all these questions. Well do I really know this person? I thought I knew everything. You know, we train ourselves to size people up. As we get to know people, we look for all these clues about where they fall on certain issues. We want to know what they think about the hottest headlines of the day or the most pressing political issues. We want to know about their values. Do they value education the same way we do? What career path are they on? What career aspirations do they have? All of these things that are signals for us as we get to know people and try to figure out, is this one of my people? Is this part of my tribe? You know, what were the last couple of years, if not a glaring reminder of how quickly we've been trained to sort ourselves out when we interact with others? Masks, no masks. Are we hugging? How are we gonna interact together in this space? COVID held up a mirror for us and reminded us how quickly we've been trained to sort ourselves out, to ask just one question that could help us find our people. I think it was just an exaggerated version of what's been happening in our everyday lives for a long time when we size people up. And I think what's underneath that sizing other people up, what we really want to know when we ask those questions to begin sorting, underneath all those superficial indicators, we want to know something about what other people believe. Do you and I believe the same thing? That's the subtext of those deductions. And it's so easy to get caught up on beliefs, especially for church folk. The greatest divisions in the church, well, they come back to beliefs. They, whoever they are, just don't believe the same. Wars have raged over right belief. And based on the amount that church folks talk about beliefs, we could easily assume that, right, that the task of faith is having the right set of beliefs. We could assume that having faith is the same thing as believing the right stuff about a list of things. We might even think that all the talk about beliefs must mean that that was Jesus' biggest priority in his ministry. Now, Jesus did say, believe in me. You will find that in the gospel, but that's not what he said when he was inviting people into a life of faith. That was not what he said when he was calling disciples, or commissioning those early church leaders, you know what he said in those moments? It's so telling. Follow me. Follow me. Perhaps Jesus knew that following is what leads to believing. After all, it doesn't take much to say that you believe in a list of doctrines. Any one of us could say that we believe in forgiveness or in grace or in justice or peace or reconciliation. That's easy. But following the example that Jesus set and living our lives in a way that testifies to those beliefs, well, that is the work of faith. And it is hard work. And I wonder if we've gotten so caught up in beliefs that we fold ourselves into thinking that belief is the first step to faithful living. I have plenty of friends who spend their Sundays in a very different way than I do. I've had so many conversations with people who will say, well, I just can't believe that. And you're gonna give your life to that? It's as if we have proclaimed that you have to believe a certain set of things before faith will follow. But the funny thing about these conversations with plenty of people I consider friends are that based on the life that they live day to day, well, their lives look so faithful. They are living out things that I think are absolutely markers of the Christian life. They're just not doing it in the name of Jesus Christ. What if as a faith community, we can fool ourselves into thinking that just because we gather here Sunday after Sunday for worship, that we all believe the same things, or that church should look the same way, that worship should happen the certain way, that there is one way for us to live out our faith in community. Now that would be an easy assumption to make because we do show up here voluntarily But let me dispel you of that illusion. If you want to have a great conversation, then I invite you to turn to the person next to you in the pew when worship is over and just ask them, what do you mean when you say God? You're going to need a cup of coffee for that conversation because it's not going to be a short one. We would be wrong to assume that we all mean the same things and have the same assumptions when we recite words in worship. But that's not where faith begins. Faith begins with an invitation to follow. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to follow in the way of Jesus. And luckily we have so many examples from Jesus himself, from the disciples, from the first church goers, about what it means to follow in the way of Jesus, showing us that a life of faith has far more to do with how we live than our ability to stand up and rec- recite certain beliefs on a dime. And so today, we're just going to start the conversation. And I can't think of a better place to start then with Jesus's own words that I think have contributed to our obsession as Christians with right belief. We're going to begin with some of Jesus's most famous words. You've probably seen them on a billboard or two. Maybe someone has given you some literature at a street corner with these words plastered on them. And I hope that today we can reclaim them as I believe they were intended to be an invitation to a life of faith. But before we turn to scripture, let's pray together. Oh God, we give you thanks for your living word, for the ways that it continues to surprise us and enliven us and set us on the path of faithful living in your world. And so we ask that these words do just that. By your Spirit, surprise us with something new. Speak to us a fresh word so that we may be strengthened to go live as your people in your way in this world you so love. Amen. So hear now these words from the Gospel of John. This is the 14th chapter. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples in my father's house there are many dwelling places if it were not so would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am you may be also and you know the way to the place where I am going Thomas said to him Lord we do not know the way to the place where you are going how can we know the way Jesus said to him I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me if you know me you will know my father also From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Endings have a way of clarifying things, don't they? Well, at least the good endings. There are endings that only create more questions, more confusion, more heartbreak. But think about the most satisfying endings to your favorite TV books, t- TV shows or your favorite books. And aren't the most satisfying ones the ones that answer all those lingering questions you have, clearing up any plot confusion that have been, has been sprinkled throughout, clearing up the question you have about why that one character did that one thing that seemed so unnecessary and insignificant at the time? good endings seem to put things in perspective, to clear up confusion. And the same could be said about the end of life with people we love. When I talk to people who've had a good death experience with a loved one, it's usually because there's been an ending that has clarified something for them death can have this beautiful way of opening up deep conversations with loved ones conversations about regrets joys accomplishments hopes maybe you've been with a loved one at the end of their life and maybe you've experienced one of those satisfying conversations Maybe you know what it's like to have someone you love offer you some final instructions about how to live in their absence. Don't take yourself so seriously. Make sure you do more than work. Please call your grandmother to check in at least once a week. Because more often than not, when death is looming, there is this added pressure To say the most important things to those you love you can never tie up all the loose ends that come with living but there is this instinct to tie up as many loose ends as you can to give your loved ones the gift of those conversations now the words we just read from Jesus weren't said from a hospice room But this is one of those end-of-life conversations. This conversation comes at the end of Jesus' ministry, and he's told his disciples that the end, well, his end is coming. And so naturally, they are distraught. They've heard his vague comments about returning to the Father, whatever that's supposed to mean. But as you imagine, they're nervous. Because they said yes to that invitation to follow him. They gave up everything. And this is their leader, their person who's been with them day after day, instructing them in the way that they should go. And so when Jesus is talking about leaving, this is like a child losing a parent. What are they to do when he's not there to instruct them? Can you imagine how scary that must have been for them? Now, when we read Scripture, we have the, an advantage that the disciples didn't have, and that is this. We know how the story ends. We have these words, and we have the advantage of knowing what Jesus said to his disciples in those final days. We know what he thought was most important to say at the end of his life and so we get to begin with the end in mind the disciples didn't have that you know they didn't know a world where death didn't have the final word the final word and so when Jesus says I'm leaving they think well he's leaving forever they don't know if Jesus will really be raised from the dead as he said so of course they're distraught but we have the whole gospel, and we have all of the good news, and so we have the context of perspective. And so what better way to say hello to a new year in our life together than with Jesus' words of goodbye? Because the most important things get said in moments of goodbye, and so I think these words can clue us in on what is most important in our life together. But just imagine how anxious we would be if we didn't have the gift of the whole story. Imagine those disciples being told by the person they love most in the world that he's leaving forever. What are they to do? Has it all been for naught? Is all that they did just gonna amount to nothing? Do they just Go back home and say well it was a good run can you imagine so Thomas bless his heart he says what everyone else was thinking and I imagine what most of us would have been thinking had we been there Lord we do not know where you're going how can we know the way In other words, how will we know what we should do and how we should live without your instructions? You've been guiding us since the beginning, since we said, yes, Thomas reminds Jesus. Thomas is after clarity, and I respect that. And it's Thomas's demand for clarity that prompts Jesus to say the words that have been repeated ever since and plastered on all sorts of materials and billboards thomas jesus says i am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me now maybe you have received some materials that say this maybe you have seen it on a billboard i see some head nods this is one of those scriptures that gets abused a lot I think it's one of the scriptures that has made Christians obsess about right belief. And sadly, it is a scripture that has been used by Christians to condemn people of other faiths. Maybe you have heard it used in that way. It's not lost on me that we are reading this scripture on the anniversary of 9-11, a devastating part of our nation's history, which also created an inordinate amount of violence towards religious minorities this scripture was part of that religious violence that ensued in days after that tragedy this scripture is part of the enormous interfaith tension and bias in our world it's not lost on me that we are talking about this today and so i want to say very clearly that we don't believe That God can be bound by church or creed. We are mere humans. So who are we to put limits on how God works in the world? If you think you understand how God works, well that's probably the best first indication that you don't. Because God is so much bigger than our imagining, which does Open up the possibility that God could be at work in other faiths just as God is at work in our own. It's a shame that this scripture has been lifted out of context because this is a statement made explicitly to followers of Jesus Christ. It was never meant to be a commentary on all religious traditions, and if we're to learn from Jesus' examples, well, we know that he interacted with people of other faiths all the time. This is Jesus at the end of his life speaking to those closest to him. Just imagine a conversation with your closest family members in the hospital as someone is in their final days versus a public service announcement. Those things cannot be equated. They're just not the same. How can we know the way, Thomas asks? He wants a roadmap. And Jesus responds by saying, here I am. I am the roadmap. If you want to know what a life of faith looks like, look at my life. I am the way. Live in the same way I do. It's us who have twisted these words into something about right belief. Because we get so fixated on that line, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's a hard line and I think that we've made it to mean something that christians well the right kind of christians are the christians who get to go to god and i hate to break it to you there are plenty of christians who would say we're not the right kind of christians that we are not the ones who will be eternally favored or make it to the house of the lord but this is where language is tricky because everything we read in english came at the cost of a choice when it Came time to translate and I think there's a better translation of Jesus's words this sentence can say what we read no one comes to the father except through me but it can also say this no one comes to the father except in the same way I do except in the same way I do you hear the difference that's an invitation not a condemnation the disciples who are so worried about getting it right about believing the right things about making sure that this journey they've been on with jesus was more than just an experiment and doesn't just go away when jesus goes to wherever he's going Jesus offers an invitation worried about faithful living well follow my example because at the end of the day we all come to God in the same way my life of faith is no different than yours it's not about believing certain things and being able to recite scriptures and creeds word-for-word that's part of the picture but it's not the whole picture and it's not about doing certain things perfectly, like not swearing or refraining from drinking and dancing and eating certain foods. That's not faith. It's about being caught up in a way of living in this world. The life of faith is about saying yes to the invitation to follow. Want to know the way? Jesus asks. I'm it spend your days healing and teaching and serving and loving and forgiving that's the way we all walk the same path to god's house that's how we walk our way home now this scripture should make all of us just a little bit nervous because it turns out that knowing god And if you are here this morning, I'd venture to say that you know God at least a little bit or want to know God better. Well, knowing God brings with it the assignment of living out God's character in the world, and that is hard work. Living in the way of Jesus, healing, feeding, caring, serving. But friends, that's the life of faith. And so at the start of this new year, I offer you the same invitation offered by Jesus to free yourself of the anxiety you have about whether you believe the right things so that you can accept the invitation to follow, to live in the way he lived, trusting that faith and even belief will come when we allow ourselves to get caught up on the path he set out for us. So let's follow in the way of Jesus together, allowing ourselves to be surprised by how our faith might be transformed. May it be so. Go out into God's world in peace, have courage, hold on to what is good, Return to no one evil for evil, strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, honor all persons, love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the power of the Spirit bless you and keep you this day and always, always. Amen.